Hoffmaster State Park. Maybe it's because it's my old stomping grounds in Muskegon, but whenever I can, I'll take the family and duck back there for, for a night or two at a time at Hoffmaster. And, and for those of you who are campers, you know that when you get put together in a campground with a bunch of people, you run into some pretty interesting characters most of the time. And they aren't always the extended family members who are camping with you. Sometimes there are other interesting characters as well. Um, I remember a few years ago, uh, we were camping near somebody just a loop over who was training to be a saxophone player and brought their saxophone camping, which could be disaster if they're bad, but he was really good. And so sitting around the campfire, we'd listen to that saxophone playing a couple sites over. It was awesome, awesome. But the, maybe the strangest or most interesting experience I had camping at Hawkmaster was even before then, a while ago. And, and um, you know, I woke up in the morning. The first thing you do in the morning after getting dressed is you head over to the bathroom where everybody seems to congregate. And, and so I was at the sink washing my face for the morning, and the door opens behind me, and in walks a pirate. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, a Halloween thrown together costume. This guy was all out pirate, a full fledged. So I thought, well, that's kind of odd. And then the door opened a minute later, and then walks two more pirates. And they start talking all R to each other, and ahoy there, matey, and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, this, I got out of that bathroom pretty quickly, I'll tell you that. I moved on. Um, but I did walk the, the campground later on, and I found their site. It wasn't hard to miss. They had a pop-up camper just like mine, except they had the Jolly Roger flag flying over. The whole place was decked out in piracy. You couldn't miss it. I mean, they were full-fledged pirates. And it got me, got me thinking about pirates. And, you know, pirates are really rather entertaining, aren't they? We, we like them. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean movies are huge, and, and, and we like to follow their adventures as they go. When Halloween rolls around, if you don't have a good costume, it's easy to, to dress up your, your little boy or little girl as a pirate. You put the eye patch on, you get the little plastic sword. If you're really good, you get the, the hook for the right hand, and, and off you go as a pirate. They're, they're kind of fun characters. When we were in South Carolina for spring break a while ago, um, you know, on the, the cruise or the, the tour out on the boat, they made sure to tell us all about the history of piracy there in Charleston and the island where they used to hang the pirates when they came. It was fascinating, really entertaining stuff. But then I thought, you know, if we really think about it, pirates aren't that cool. You know, they're, they're pretty much thieves and murderers. Uh, not very entertaining. Anybody see Captain Phillips, that movie a few years ago that was out? Yeah, those are pirates, all right? Nowadays, they don't have silver swords. They, they, they pirate with machine guns, and they capture ships, and they hold people for ransom, and they kill them. Not really the kind of people we, we want our kids to dress up as, really. Not really the role models that we want our kids to, to follow. Yeah, I want my kid to be a pirate when he grows up. No, not, not really. Yet, you know, in, in a similar way, Without realizing it, we, we end up glorifying and maybe idolizing and, and then following wrong people in life, don't we? We have the wrong heroes, we have the wrong role models. We model ourselves after people that we really shouldn't. Sometimes it's painfully obvious, right? So, so you have the young teenager who, who's caught in the inner city and doesn't, doesn't feel like he has a way out and he sees the financial success of the guy in the street corner who's dealing drugs and thinks, there's my ticket, I'm going to follow him. Or the young businessman who, who watches his boss you know, cut the corners and, 
and do the shady deals and thinks, there's my ticket. That's the way to success. I don't think either of them, you know, plan to become criminals, but they, they just choose the wrong person to follow. Right? That same thing happens to us spiritually more often than I think we wish to admit. There are people who teach spiritual truths that don't align with the truth of Jesus Christ. There are people who walk just outside of his footsteps. And if we follow their footsteps instead of his, we're going to end up someplace far away from where we want to be. I, I call them spiritual pirates. Right? They, they look very appealing, but they're really not who we should be following because they lead us astray. And if we aren't careful, we're going to end up far away from where we want to be, far away from Jesus, because we've been kidnapped. We're following the pirates instead. So this morning, we need to make sure, we're going to do a little check, each one of us, to check and make sure we're following the right person. We're following in the right footsteps. If you're... If you are doing the Lent readings that we started last week with the reading guides that you have here in your bulletins, then, then you read the story of Nicodemus this past week. Nicodemus was someone who was led astray by spiritual pirates. In fact, I think in some ways he became a spiritual pirate in his day. Right? And for most of us here in this room, we, we share the same spiritual danger, just... They, they, those pirates have just taken a different name. See, in Jesus' day, these, these pirates were called Pharisees. Pharisees who followed the path of legalism. And those legalistic pirates still sail in our spiritual waters, maybe especially in our western Michigan spiritual waters. They just don't go by the name Pharisees anymore. But they're alive and well, and many of us in this room have followed and maybe are following them right now. See, the path of legalism, asks one main question. The driving question they ask is, what does the law require? That's it. They shape their life according to that question. What does the law require? That's exactly what the Pharisees, that we're going to read about over and over again as you follow in our Lent reading process. Um, you're going to read about them again and again, and that's exactly what they were asking. They took all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. As Nicodemus said, 613 of them. 365 negative laws, the things that they couldn't do, and 248 positive laws, things that they had to do. 365, this whole book of laws. And they said, keep these laws perfectly. That's your way to salvation. Do everything right and you shall be saved. It was a system of rule following that they believed would earn them salvation. And these Pharisees of Jesus' day were both, were both spiritual leaders and political leaders of their day. They had the power and authority to force their rule following ways onto everyone, and they tried. They ruled the political seas. They ruled the spiritual seas. They were pirates, spiritual pirates of their day, which is why Jesus, so often you'll read, went toe-to-toe with them. And that's what makes our passage that we're going to read this morning so surprising at first glance. Take out your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me, page 936 in the Bibles you have in front of you. 936, Matthew 5. Matthew 5. 
This is part of, of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus here addresses these law-keeping, rule-following ways of the Pharisees, some of whom are probably in the crowd listening to him. And, and, and this is his chance to really lay, lay out his opposing viewpoint for everyone to hear. But the words that we hear him speak, starting in verse 17, are not what, what I would have expected. Listen to what he says. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit strange in context? It certainly seems like Jesus is affirming their legalism here, doesn't it? He starts by affirming and confirming the law that these Pharisees are clinging to so rabidly. He doesn't dismiss the law. He doesn't say, oh, that's not important. In fact, he calls for a, a radical obedience to every single command. And then he caps it off with verse 20. Let me read that again. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It sounds like he's not only affirming their legalism, but taking it even a step further, right? It sounds like he's right in line with the Pharisees' teaching, sailing those legalistic seas along with them. But you know, as you read through the rest of this chapter this coming week, it's day seven of our readings for Lent. As you read through the rest of this chapter, you will see that Jesus is not simply confirming the legalism of the Pharisees. In fact, he's doing just the opposite. He's turning it on its head. When he calls for our righteousness to surpass that of the Pharisees, he is not calling for more of the same. You know, better legalism, better rule following. That's not what he's asking for. Instead, he makes it clear that our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, not in our rule following, but when we follow God's directions, when we follow his law, not out of a desire to earn our salvation, but out of a true desire to love God and love his people around us. So instead of taking us deeper into the law, Jesus is calling us to go above and beyond the law into the realm of love. And that's a whole different path to follow. Each step on this path is directed by this question. Not what does the law require, but what does love desire? What does love desire? Now, notice Jesus nowhere dismisses the law. He doesn't throw away God's laws. That would be foolish. Because 
This book is designed, the directions God gives us, designed to show us the life that's worth living. It's designed to show us how we were created to live and how to live life to the fullest, to enjoy purpose and meaning and contentment and joy. So don't miss that. Jesus doesn't say, ah, forget about the law. He affirms it. But he puts it in its proper place. It's not the path of salvation. Instead, what he does is, is he, he, he takes the law and he wraps it in love. He says, you need to live this law out in love. It's love, he says, that takes our righteousness above and beyond legalism. So instead of simply being rules to follow to earn our salvation, following God's direction is evidence of our relationship with God that's rooted in grace, the grace that we have received, the love that's wrapped around it. And when we are rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ, when we are then following in Jesus' footsteps, we will lead with love all the time, not with legalism, not with law. Those are the footsteps of Jesus that we will follow. Jesus always led with love. He shows us what it looks like to to not disregard the law, but to live it out in love. He shows us in the rest of this chapter. You're going to read it this week, so I won't read it for you now. But he goes section by section here, applying what he just taught, applying what he just said. He tells us, you know, in the very next paragraph, he says, Legalism prohibits murder. You shall not murder. There's your law, right? But love, love leads us to to build each other up as we cultivate relationships of of respect and honor. There's the law wrapped in love, led by love. Legalism prohibits the act of adultery, he says. Yes, that's true. Wrap it in love. And love teaches us to see each person as, as an image bearer of God and to treat them that way first of all. Legalism looks for a way out of a difficult relationship, a difficult marriage. Looks for a way to escape. Love, instead, does the hard work of trying to make that relationship work, if at all possible. Recognizing isn't always the case. Legalism, he says, requires you that if you raise your right hand and promise something, that you have to fulfill it. Fulfill your oath. Says, you know what love does? Love makes every word you speak. True. You fulfill every word. Whether your right hand is raised or not, you always speak truth. And you're a person of integrity. Legalism requires you to respond with with hurt to any hurt you receive. Right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, there's justice for you. Love, instead, responds to hurt with grace. Gives grace. Even for your enemies. What it means, that is what it means to follow Jesus. It means we learn to lead with love in every daily action of our lives. We become people who lead with love. And let's be honest here this morning. We don't always do that very well, do we? We don't always lead with love. It's not our first thought. I mean, think about some of your, your conversations, some of your opinions, some of your thoughts. Do you lead with love? How about in the political realm? When you're talking politics with your friends, 
Do you lead with love when you're talking about the president? When you're talking about you know, political opponents who stand against you? Do you lead with love or do you lead with some kind of judgment and name-calling? How about with political, political issues? When you're trying to discern you know, the right place to stand on issues like immigration and race and, and maybe worldwide issues of justice, do you lead with love? Is love your first filter or is it something else? How about when you walk down the hallways at school? Are you leading with love with the words you say to your classmates or, or with the people you ignore as you walk past them? Are you leading with love in what you say to them and how you treat them? How about when you take the court, basketball court, soccer field, whatever it is, are you leading with love with your opponents? How about you parents sitting in the stands? Are you leading with love when you evaluate the referees? Are you leading with love or something else? At work, with your co-workers, with your employees, with your employers, with your competitors, are you leading with love? Is that the first step? The first word? How you, view, how you view all the people you run into throughout your day. Are you leading with love in those relationships? And how you treat people whose skin color is different than yours. How you treat people whose sexual orientation is different than yours. How you treat people of the opposite gender. How you treat the poor. How you treat the addict. How you treat the homeless. How you treat the wealthy. How you treat the powerful. Are you leading with love? What would it look like? If all of us led with love and learned how to live that way, I guess our lives would look very different from how they look now. Our conversations would sound very different. And you know what? Pretty soon our community and our world would start to look different. Because we're leading with love. Now, let me be honest here. Legalism is easier. Leading with law and judgment is easier. Right? It's all cut and dried that way, isn't it? Here's the line. Here's the line of right on this side and wrong on that side. And if you're on the right side with me, I, I commend you. Welcome to the right side. If you're on the wrong side, then I can stand in judgment over you and point out all your wrongness. And honestly, it feels kind of good to do that, doesn't it? to stand on the right side and point out someone else's wrong. It's easy to live in legalism. It's cut and dried. There's us and there's them. It's a lot messier to lead with love. Right? The, the line doesn't change. There's still right and wrong. The law of God is still there. The line doesn't change, but my actions do. And my attitude does. And my words do. Suddenly words like grace come into the conversation. Suddenly words like compassion come into the conversation. Words like respect and honor. Words like service and help. They become part of the conversation and become part of our lives when we learn to lead with love. To follow Jesus. If you want to be someone who follows Jesus is to go above and beyond the law. Above and beyond. And to choose to lead with love at all times. I would guess that some of us sitting here this morning 
have begun to realize that we have been deceived. Maybe we've been deceived for many, many years. We've been following the wrong path. We've been led astray by spiritual pirates who have made legalism look right and good and holy. Right? They, they've held up the law. Purity in all our actions. Righteousness in perfection. That's the holy grail of holiness. That's how you get right with God. That's how you earn your salvation. And there's no love in the conversation. And many of us have tried to follow that path. 613 rules. If I can just get them right. Jesus calls us back to his footsteps. Because that's not the path he's leading us towards. And when we're following in Jesus' footsteps, instead of leading with law, we're going to lead with love. So as you follow Jesus' life through this Lent gospel reading process that we're in. And again, if you haven't started, pick it up this week. The, the reading is in your, in your bulletin, the reading guide. It's okay. You can skip week one. Join us week two. If you miss a day here or there, don't give up. Keep going, okay? But as you follow Jesus, watch how he leads with love. Know all the times he leads with love and follow his lead then. What would your life look like? What would this church look like? What would your school look like or your home, your workplace, if you led with love in all your conversations, in all of your thoughts, in all of your words, in all of your actions? What would it look like? My guess is it would look very different from how it looks right now. All of our thoughts, all of our actions, all of our words need to be shaped, first of all, by love, not legalism. So answer the question with your life. Will you go above and beyond the law? And will you follow Jesus' footsteps and lead with love? Would you pray with me? Father God, forgive us for all the times that we have allowed ourselves to be deceived. And we have allowed the spiritual pirates to capture our hearts in our minds, and we followed in their footsteps that lead us astray, that lead us to believe that somehow we can be good enough, that somehow you care most of all about law, about righteousness. You do care about that. You do give us your law, but you do it to help us, to guide us, to lead us. But you lead with love, Jesus. You led with love when you touched each one of our hearts. Because we had fallen so far short. Each one of us was stained by sin. And if you had led with law, we would be doomed. We would be designated for hell. But thank you, Jesus, that you led with love. And that love gave grace. And that grace gave life. And that life gave hope and assurance now and for eternity. Now help us to follow in your footsteps, Father. It's so tempting to lead with legalism. Yet you call us to lead with love. So that others might know who you are. And might know your grace. And so may we lay ourselves down before you, Jesus. Laying ourselves completely before you to follow in your footsteps. To be who you called us to be. And to love as you called us to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Would you stand, please, and let's lay our lives down to him.